Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport by myself, Catherine Whitaker, and by David Law. And we are this week, David, by the magic of technology, coming at you from different locations. I am in a car park in Feltham and you, David, hopefully are not no, because nobody. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. No, and also, if I was there and you didn't know it, it would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? But anyway, I'm in a, a windowless office at the moment, so we're uh, we're we're really we're really making this an exciting, exotic uh, tennis podcast yeah. early on here. Um, we're really feeling the sunny bank holiday joy, aren't we? I mean, I'm literally in the front seat of my car, David, in a car park. I've got the laptop on the passenger seat. I've got the iPad on my lap and in front of me um, is an empty car parking space with a big yellow cone uh, attached to it, an A4 piece of paper saying reserved for Jimmy White. And wow. uh, it did, uh, yeah, the legendary snooker player, Jimmy White. And I'm a bit concerned because uh, I, I am at the um, home of, of Eurosport and also uh, WTA Media. And I'm, I'm uh, on commentary duty this week for that is the explanation for why I'm in a car park in Feltham. In uh, Jimmy really, White's space. Euros, Eurosport and Perform visits are the only reason anybody w- would ever f- find need to come to Feltham. It is, uh, as far as I can gather, the UK capital of drinking before midday in public um but yeah jimmy white i'm concerned because the uh world snooker championships final is happening as we speak david and jimmy or jimmy white's car parking space is empty oh so, so you, unless you, you take haven't a taxi actually, here you haven't I'm stolen concerned. it then i haven't stolen it no it crossed my mind the the mayhem i could cause but um no i i really hope he took a taxi to work this morning because if not he uh, he's missing quite a big one. Yes, he is. Oh dear. Uh, but Catherine isn't. Catherine, you're between matches right now, aren't you? So I mean, really, it's it's Madrid, isn't it? All eyes right now focused on Madrid, which is one of those slightly strange events in a way, in that it sort of starts on Friday or Saturday of the week before, doesn't it? Yes. Well, certainly the WTA event starts on the Saturday. It's a, it's an eight day event. The women's final on on the. 
following Saturday and the, the men's main draw starts today on the Monday, but they have had qualifying matches. Or actually, did they have a couple of main draw matches yesterday? Actually, sorry, I think I think maybe it's eight days on, on both. They start the, 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 the weekend before. Yeah, so exactly what you said. Forget mm. what I just said. Yeah, OK. So at the moment, we've got Maria Sharapova playing. Um, I, I've already played tennis today, Catherine, in preparation for our Right, we're not going to talk about uh, Maria Sharapova's tennis. We're going to talk about David Law's tennis. Yeah, well, I mean, they're similar. <laughs> That's you know. what the people tune in for. I, I think we've got a similar win-loss record just <laughs> just, just at the moment this season. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but no, she's, she's handling... Uh, Arena Camelio Bega in a similar manner to which I handled uh, glorious defeat against my uh, six and eight year olds. Uh, but there we are. It was two on one and they won. So, you know. Is, so, Maria Sharapov, as we speak, is a breakdown to Begu. But it's early doors, isn't it? Yeah. Early doors in that match. 2 1 first set. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no buys in the opening round um, in Madrid. So it, it throws up some um, absolutely cracking first round matches I mean Sybil Kova Garcia I commentated on yesterday I mean in fact Garcia was so good that uh, she won through pretty handily and Sybil Kova obviously not in the the form of a couple of years ago but nonetheless I mean as a first rounder that's uh, that's pretty sensational what, what really strikes me looking at j- even just the order of playing the results for Madrid in those first few days is just how much tennis is going on packed into these well, not that many courts, really, because they, they play late into the night, don't they? I mean, I've seen matches start at 11pm and later in the past, and it is just big names everywhere. I mean, these draws are jam-packed. There's no Serena Williams in the Madrid draw this week. She's decided she's going to, to start in Rome, isn't she? But, I mean, this is where you start... I mean, I know they've had Monte Carlo, they've had Stuttgart, they've had a few other clay court tournaments, but it feels really... This is when everybody decides, right, the French Open run-up starts here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just on the subject of the draw, David, Djokovic Nishikori for a first-rounder. I know that that's partly courtesy uh, of both of them having slipped down the rankings for for largely injury-related reasons. However, Djokovic Nishikori a first round in Madrid if somebody had told you that you know even a, a year ago you would have you would have called the authorities on them it would have been so unthinkable so yeah i mean it's a uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating week and you're right this is when the sort of official french open build up starts if you like which 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 is actually you know the conditions in madrid are so different to paris aren't they the, with the with the altitude and the ball really flying through the air it's actually rome next week where you probably get the best marker of who's likely to do damage um, at the French Open because of how similar the conditions are. But nonetheless, it all counts, doesn't it? It certainly all counts for for confidence. And I love the the look of how both the draws are shaping up. I, I, I think think we could be in for a treat, apart with the exception of the fact that uh, Rafael Nadal is definitely, definitely going to win it easily <laughs> on the men's side. <laughs> Everywhere else, it looks very interesting. Although I, I see Nadal, on, on the men's side, they do have buys. So on the women's side, they don't. On the men's side, they yes, do, which correct. is quite interesting. And, and on the men's side, Nadal has got a, a buy and then he plays potentially against Gamon Fees, um, which... 
I remember a few years ago when when I think Monfils reached the final of Monte Carlo, and and he beat Federer and Dimitrov to get to the final, and he was just amazing. And I, I remember thinking at the time, if he plays that sort of tennis with that sort of athleticism and power and sort of intent, I wonder whether he could hurt Nadal or Djokovic. You know, just the sheer level if he could produce that. Unfortunately, he. He doesn't have that relentlessness of spirit, almost. He, he, he I don't know. I, I always feel slightly underwhelmed by Gal Monfils because I think he's capable of so much more than he actually achieves. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's lacking the the one thing that you have to have uh, to to beat Rafael Nadal in this sort of form, which is exactly what he said: a relentlessness. It, that's precisely what he doesn't possess. Of course, he has the game to do it, and uh, he has the technical tactical nous. You know, you, 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 he's not afraid to to slow ball these guys. You know, to do the, the what's considered a, a slightly unsportsmanlike thing. You know, to completely um, turn the game on its head. We saw him do it. I mean, albeit not to great effect, but in that U.S. Open semi-final against Novak Djokovic a couple of years ago, it made for a slightly bizarre opening set. Or so. But he's not afraid to do that stuff. The problem is that mentally he's completely all over the place and you, you, you can't afford to be even a tiny bit all over the place when you play Rafael Nadal in this sort of form, let alone completely all over the place. So I'm afraid as much as that looks good on paper, I, I suspect that if it comes to pass, it might, alas, end up being... Um, a little bit of a, a, a disappointing matchup. I, I I think he could get challenged this week um, in Madrid. He doesn't like the conditions in Madrid as much as he likes some others, you know, Monte Carlo and, and Rome and Paris. So I think there's maybe a tiny fraction more of an opening for, for someone to challenge him. But I, I don't think he's going to lose. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He, he's He's not quite as overwhelming a favourite on this particular service at well rather in these particular conditions maybe as he is somewhere else uh, like Barcelona and Monte Carlo but um, a couple of other first round draws I'm just looking down the draw here it could be second round Grigor Dimitrov against Milos Raonic which is a very strange sounding second round draw isn't it I mean that that little generation you mentioned Nishikori who I always think of as part of that generation as well and they're just sort of you know, they're just crammed into that little section together, I, basically because of all of Raonic's injuries. And then you've you've got at the bottom of the draw Alexander Zverev, who's fresh off his win in Munich, who won the title for the second year in a row. There, he could play against um, Stefanos Tsitsipas, who's backed up another great week uh, by doing well in Estoril. I think he got to the semis there, didn't he? Yeah, I'd love to see that match. I'd love to see Zverev and Tsitsipas come to f- pass. Raonic is on the court for his first round match as we speak against Nicholas Kicker. And I need him uh, not to win too quickly because uh, <laughs> I am commentating on the match uh, following that one onto the Arantxas Sanchez Vicario court. So uh, I, I am only able to podcast for the duration of the Raonic Kicker match oh well uh, Nicholas watched... Kicker does understand what's required of him in order to, to extend <laughs> this podcast so. to I 45 minutes so. I saw a snapshot uh, actually of Ranić's practice on the Rancho Sanchez Vicario court uh, with Goran Ivanovic alongside in Madrid today. So he uh, is obviously continuing that relationship uh, through the clay court season. I believe they're still calling it a trial, um, but it 
it is becoming a slightly more more long term trial, and he looked very business like. Did Goran at the back of the court? Very very business like. But uh, he needs some wins, Ranich, doesn't he? Desperately needs some wins. Speaking of which, a first rounder yesterday. Gasquet against Burdick. Gasquet against Burdick in the first round. And actually, Burdick lost pretty handily to Richard Gasquet. And I know Gasquet's been in brilliant form, some some cracking matches uh, in Morocco and as well in Monte Carlo. That absolutely sensational match with, with Zverev that he's so narrowly lost. But um, still, to see Burdick go down in straight sets in the opening round of Madrid is a is a pretty sorry sight. And he's lost a few like that recently. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he's getting a bit old. Uh, I, I know that sounds oh, a bit... Oh, David! No, but maybe he is. You know, it, it happens, doesn't it? To everybody it, at it, some it, point. Ageing does happen to everybody. It does. Yes. So, you know, yeah, there's my facts. little gem of philosophy for the day. It, <laughs> but it's it, 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 can we say that now in the Roger Federer era? Everybody ages a different stages though don't they some people sorry sorry thomas you're aging quickly i mean you know don't tell him i said that or anything (laughs) it is possible that he could be uh you know on the decline i mean i hope that's not the case it sounds pretty mean to say it but it it could be the case i mean talking about how things change you you mentioned the 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 absurdity on paper of Djokovic playing nishikori in the first round how weird that looks um i was thinking of something similar the other day when i saw that uh, Joe Conta was playing against Magdalena Rabarakova and last night Conta won that match but it was Rabarakova who was the seeded player because Conta had dropped down to number 23 in the world because suddenly her, her results and ranking had had come together in a way and, and the ranking had caught up and looking at the, the Queen's entry list which is announced tomorrow morning for the Fever Tree Championships Andy Murray I, I sort of do the 24 players that are direct entrants and, and go over last year's 24 in a way and Andy Murray was there at number one in the world this time last year he's number 39 in the world right now he basically only just about gets directly into that draw um I mean shows the strength of draw the draw but it also shows you know how quickly things change when injuries happen and players are absent and it's it it kind of shakes you really because our normality is just being thrown up in the air yeah, and that, that ties into to a, a, a conversation we'll we'll come on to later. Or well, we can do it now if you want, David. We can do whatever whatever we damn well like with our podcast about what? what's that uh, about, about Wimbledon and Serena Williams and whether or not they will be permitted to to seed her. The situation is that she will be able to to gain entry into Wimbledon despite her ranking outside the world's top four hundred. Currently, she will be able to gain entry on the basis of a protected ranking. However, that protected ranking, which is of number one, doesn't get you a protected seeding. Now, the rules are clear on the men's side. It seems that you're not able to seed a player who is outside the world's 32. Within those 32, you can juggle with the seedings if if you like. And Wimbledon have been known to do that in in the past. They they used to elevate uh, Tim Henman's seeding a little on what his world ranking was because of his grass court performances in the past. But it is there is lack of clarity on the women's side in the WTA rules about whether if Serena Williams is ranked outside the world's top 32, which she will be, whether they will be 
permitted to seed her. Bizarrely, given it's one of the world's premier sporting events and the WTA is is, is one of the premier sporting platforms for, for women, or slash full stop, it's slightly bizarre that we don't know uh, jurisdictionally whether that will be able to happen. I think I think we do now because of their uh, the, the the spring press conference they had last week, in which actually they they didn't know a hundred percent what what the situation. But I thought was. they said they were told at the press conference that the situation was clear on the men's side, but not on the women's. Well, I, my understanding is that they thought that they couldn't move somebody up who was outside the top thirty-two, but that when it came to it they were they were actually informed no you can do that they had a, a hasty check with uh, with the wta who who confirmed that that was the case so um my understanding is certainly that they that they can do it they just didn't think that they could ah well that's interesting i mean good i'm i'm glad there's clarity i i had i had taken it as that <laughs> they were unsure they thought maybe they could but they were seeking uh, confirmation but if that confirmation has come that makes things very interesting i still find it bizarre that that there would be a different rule on each side and perhaps that highlights the the ar- arbitrariness the ar- arbitrariness arbit- how arbitrary some of the the distinctions between the men's and, and women's uh, rules are uh, especially at, at combined events but there we go it's going yeah. to make things interesting. If Wimbledon started tomorrow, David, where would you seed Serena Williams? Where would I seed Serena Williams? I don't know. Probably about probably about sixteen, something like that. Um, given how inactive she's been of late, and I can confirm that. Incidentally, uh, they did go away after that press conference and, and seek to seek clarification, and it was the the case that they would be able at their discretion the tournament committee to seed her um in order to produce a balanced draw that's uh, that's what they're allowed to do um so yeah quite quite interesting and, and i agree with you I, I i mean i don't exactly know how they end up having the the disparity between the men's and the women's rules in that regard but it does seem a bit strange i mean i i i, I do feel that the the idea of of being able to to protect a player's seeding when they are pregnant is is definitely something that needs to happen. We've talked that, about that before, and that's obviously a difference between the two. But some of the rules just seem plain bizarre that 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 they are different. Um, but anyway, where would I see her? I'd see her about sixteen. Um, I mean, the temptation is to think, well, if Serena Williams is in the Wimbledon draw, she's one of the favourites to win it, and I actually think she is, but. I, that's just a f- kind of feeling, knowing what a great champion she is. I think it would be, it would seem harsh as well on some players. I think if you were just to parachute her in to a really high seeding and push down somebody who's played well all year. Well, it's definitely going to feel harsh on whoever the world number thirty-two is uh, come the time of seedings, isn't it? Because they're going to get uh, pushed out, muscled out. But uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think sixteen sounds about right actually david roughly around that point but i certainly think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do other things uh 
that were discussed um, were obviously that they were asked at this uh, spring press conference about the possibility of Dan Evans receiving uh, a wild card and, and they were very generic about that. They said if they received an application by Dan Evans for a wild card, they would consider it uh, in the same way they do following exactly the same processes as any other application, consider it on his merits. They also, David, uh, were asked uh, their views on, on some of the more technological changes that are happening in some corners of the tennis world, specifically rating, relating to on-court coaching and shot clocks. Yeah, yeah, they are absolutely against the idea of on-court coaching at Wimbledon. They're not having it at all. I mean, if you think back to, obviously, the experiments we, we had at the, the next-gen finals at the late last year, that wasn't on-court coaching, that was headset coaching from, from courtside. At the US Open in qualifying, they were allowing players to go and consult with their coaches on the side on in the crowd effectively or shout um and then you've of course got the the wta version of things where coaches are allowed to come along and just sit on the court side have you got a massive plane going over at the moment yeah felton's quite near heathrow it's all happening david because there's also uh for some reason there's a, a lady walking her elderly labrador through this lovely felton car park don't get me wrong i'm delighted about that um, and uh, I'm having to use all of my restraint not to stop this recording, get up out of the car and um, go and give this lovely elderly Labrador a cuddle. Oh, OK. Oh, well, you know, I can just carry on talking if you like, take five minutes off. Um, but yes, the, um, the the US Open had that sort of slightly unusual looking coaching on the side of the court. The, the WTA uh, on-court coaching has been going on for the best part of a decade now, and yet... Wimbledon have said point blank it's we're absolutely against it we think that players should play on their own and that's the end of it and quite an interesting line I saw from Chris Clary in the New York Times he said that unless the Grand Slams are in agreement over these sort of rules they're not happening so um that's that's quite a a strong statement from from Wimbledon and it'll be interesting to see what the others do based on that um Regarding the shot clock, Wimbledon have decided to adopt what they call the wait-and-see approach. Um, they're not saying that they don't think it's a good idea to have a, a countdown clock between points in order to uh, see what how much time players are being able to take, but they're not 100% convinced. They've heard reports from one or two players saying that they felt it was slowing them down, as though they were almost waiting for the clock to, to run down before they served, etc. So... Yeah, quite a conservative approach from Wimbledon on, on that one, and, and really, no great surprise. Yeah, they they do love a conservative approach, <laughs> don't they? Um, yeah, I mean, as as you know, I love a shot clock. I also love the the um, the countdown clock that they had at the next gen finals um, on the the warm up. I mean, the the. Every time I I do commentary, uh, where you're 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 talking through the warm up and everything, the more and more of an oddity I find that whole process in in a tennis match. The more bizarre it seems, you know. This there's just so much faff, David. So much faff. You don't like it's faff, just... do you? No. No, I don't like faff. I like tennis. I like watching people play tennis. I don't like watching people faff around with bananas uh, at the chair and uh, take rackets out of bags. That can all be done before the match. Faff, David. So if I bring in plenty of faff... Catherine Rittiger stands opposed to faff. I'm definitely going to bring in just copious 
supplies of faff when we play. Yeah, and, you can uh, irritate me into defeat. Yeah, sounds great. Not for the first time, but um, bum Indeed. Yes. Yeah, uh, are there just a quick uh, just just uh, just going back to Serena Williams? The the update seems to be she pulled out of Madrid um, fairly late in in the day. We know um, from that big interview she did with Chris Clary, she's currently training uh, at the Patrick Moratoglu Academy in the south of France, and uh, she described what happened in Indian Wells and Miami as quite a wake up call on the fitness front. She realised she had a long long way to go fitness wise, so I believe she's really 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 cracked into gear during this training block but Madrid just came a bit too soon but Venus uh, said uh, in Madrid that she very much expects Serena to play in Rome so if Venus is saying that we think that's probably probably a reliable source I I would have thought uh, if she doesn't play I don't really see how Serena Williams can be expected to be properly competitive at the French Open I think I mean we're now getting into the the realms of her needing matches and I think Rome's perfect for her really I think she will fancy her chances she loves that event she's won it before so uh, I think she'll she'll feel pretty good about that incidentally as well Victoria Azarenka back in Madrid and this is the first I think European or event outside the states that she's played in well best part of a year isn't it because she she came to Wimbledon last year but she's basically been uh, you know anchored to California and and certainly America she played the Miami tournament but uh, she's now intending to play this event and the whole run through the European clay and into the grass as well so welcome back Victoria Azarenka yeah, and that's what we need, isn't it? We need her to be able to have a run at the tour, to have a run at, you know, both the clay and the grass court court seasons. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, we've talked about it a lot, what a terrible shame it is to see her. Or it's almost worse to have the sort of brief moments of Victoria Azarenka and to be reminded of how great she is for tennis and then to have her snatched away from us. So I really hope that this run at things and she's into the second round in Madrid and, and also... The, the 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 knowledge the safety net of knowing that that she's going to be on tour that she's in this for a while that she's she's got her son with her which is obviously uh, incredibly important to her hopefully that'll provide the circumstances in which she can produce her best tennis because it's undoubtedly been an immensely stressful period and probably still is but just that slight element of certainty which she's not had for a while in relation to her tennis and her schedule hopefully um will will produce her best stuff again because i miss victoria azarenka at her best i really do um yeah she's she's somebody we need back um so long may that continue in terms of what happened last week David, uh, we had Petra Kvitova winning in Prague. So emotional. How emotional was that victory? She described it as, as one of the best moments of her career to win a title at home in front of absolutely packed crowds throughout the week. I mean, the whole tournament was an absolute triumph for, for tennis and, and for, for the WTA, and in particular for Petra Kvitova. And actually, that's a bit of a theme of the week isn't it because we had the same thing with Alexander Zverev winning in Munich uh, at home and, and then in Estoril you had Joao Sousa winning his first ever title on Portuguese soil he'd won two other titles but I mean you know these I, I talked about it briefly last week how important these tournaments are to these areas and 
and how much they embrace them. Well, you hope they do. Not every tournament does that, of course, but you've just described Prague. I've seen the crowds there before. I've been to, to Estoril, and there's huge appetite for tennis there. And, and I've never really understood why Portugal doesn't have more players. I mean, you know, they, they've got this magnificent climate. They've got these wonderful clay courts everywhere you look and yet they've they've really not produced many players over the year but it, but it also david just quickly going off on a tangent about portugal <laughs> since you mentioned it that applies to to most sports you'd expect them to be a more prolific sporting nation as than they are take football out of the equation it was actually <laughs> i say this because it was a, an answer to a question on a question of sport the other night that's how much of a a cool cat i am i spend my evenings watching question of sport um that that they were one of the the least prolific European sporting nations at Olympic level and they seem to have all the ingredients to be to be better than they are it's a it's a real curiosity so let us know so it's not at just tennis, tennis at tennis podcast tell us why Portugal are rubbish at <laughs> 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 sports because we don't understand it they're not rubbish this week though because João Sousa has won the title and just amazing scenes on the centre court the crowd going crazy he beat incidentally, incidentally Francis Tiafo uh, of the United States in the final good week for him he had a really good run I think he beat Sitsipas in the semis Tiafo. Um but Sousa got the better of him Sousa also beat uh, Kyle Edmund in the quarterfinals on the way uh, to, to victory that was despite dropping a 6-1 set in the second and and at the end he invited or he demanded i think all the media come onto the court all of the portuguese media to have a photo with him in the trophy and and i'm not hugely surprised to have seen that because i've been to quite a few events in, in portugal and the there is huge desire for the sport amongst the media they cover this guy's every move and they love the sport. They can all play. I mean, I've played a few of them. They absolutely took me to the cleaners, Catherine. Honestly, I mean, it's it was so humiliating how badly I was getting beaten by these people. But anyway, um, they they love the sport. They're they're great company, and and I don't get it. I don't understand why Portugal hasn't got more tennis players. Somebody out there, tell me. Slash sports people in general, aside from footballers and marathon runners, they're quite good at the marathon. Yeah, um, but but take those two out of the equation, and uh, they are a sporting anomaly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Kyle Edmund and Cameron Norrie won the doubles. Yes. <laughs> in, British success. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um in Esteril. In Esteril, yeah. Yeah. I never thought of uh, bizarre. Kyle Edmund well, as a doubles bizarre, player. Not bizarre, but no, well, no. Well, yes, I suppose bizarre then. Yeah, I didn't think of Kyle Edmund as a doubles player. I don't think they've played uh, doubles at tour level before. I mean, it's just one of those um, joyous, you know, total, um, total unexpected bonuses for them, isn't it? It is, and, and yet uh, it could become look, really it, important, couldn't it, for British yeah, tennis from a Davis Cup could, perspective in the future. You never know. I mean, exactly, they could end up needing and, to play together. Exactly. And just, you know, I don't want to overinflate the importance of a sort of surprise one-off doubles win. I'm not suggesting that those two are going to qualify for, for the World Tour finals at, in doubles or anything, but it you know, the feeling of winning, the feeling of lifting a trophy, it can't hurt the confidence, can it? It's, it certainly can't hurt, um, especially for for Carl Edmund, who recently lost his first ATP final. I just think that that can only be um, good news for them. Just just quickly on Jao Souza, I'm so happy for him, David. Lovely I'm so bloke, happy because he? I'm not going to use the J word because I hate it, but a lot of people, if you were somebody that would use the J word, he's the sort of person they would apply it to. Just for the, you know, just for anybody in doubt, journeyman is what she's trying to say. It's an it's an awful, you know, a guy that is really solid, respectable professional. Rarely going to throw in a, a horrible, unprofessional performance, but also is never, never in the conversation for for could do something, not in the conversation for could surprise us. You know, I felt like there were about eight Grand Slams in a row where I ended up interviewing Jao Souza because he was about to play Andy Murray in the second round of a slam um, or third round on a couple of occasions, I think. It felt like they, they met at about yeah, 15 slams in a row. And every time you just knew exactly what the score was going to be. It was going to be solid, but he was not going to challenge Andy Murray. And I'm just so 
pleased for him so pleased and he's a he's a lovely chap no he is he is a very nice chap on the subject of uh, Cameron Norrie incidentally uh, he, he very narrowly lost out in in a third set in, um, in in Estoril I think he might have had a match point or serve for a match but he's also got himself enough points now to be a direct entrant into the French Open which is which is a huge achievement for him and uh, and I think Maybe not quite to the degree to which I would say this about Dan Evans, but having seen Norrie play that Davis Cup tie uh, against Spain and produce such brilliance and heroics in front of a big crowd, I think he's the sort of player that you need to just find a way to get him into that environment and then you will see the best of him because... You know he's he's clearly comfortable in front of a crowd. He likes the big stage, and I think he might be able to fast track himself from there. But it's getting there. That's the that's the tricky bit. And here he is, at least in a Grand Slam draw. Yeah, there's a bit of the sort of American showtimeness about him, isn't there? He's played. He he went through the college system in the states because it's it's very un-British to be uh, you know all about the big stage <laughs> and uh, all about you know big time performances but yeah he's got a he's got a bit of the american swagger about oh catherine listen how about this it's hot off the press uh as as if by magic as i asked for why are portugal not very good at tennis uh, normally i've had a reply from a from a portuguese journalist because i did put this out to a couple of people that i know and miguel siabra says to me maybe it's because the best miguel david no what Miguel. Yeah, all right. Miguel. Miguel. Miguel Siabra. He says, maybe because the best athletes chose football, then there are several factors, including the historical, only from the 80s on it became a better known sport, the mental, because people emphasise talent over work and discipline, uh, and Sousa went to Barcelona when he was 15. Uh, so he, he escaped that that attitude i suppose and, and produce uh he also says and, and he, he a nice little dig here from miguel he says you also lacked top 100 and top 150 players in the uk for a while with all the money and facilities and tournaments yeah but not the weather no true hard to explain sometimes says miguel so thank you to him for uh for letting us know uh the, the inside scoop he's one of the commentators for good, uh, good defense into attack there from miguel yeah well, I, he's one of the people Admirable. i played at tennis catherine and he chips and charges and you know when you go Ugh, for a passing shot or a lob he he nigh on laughs at you or at least at least he did at me <laughs> Um, Tara Daniel won the title in Istanbul, defeating Malik Jaziri in the final. Obviously brilliant for Tara Daniel, but Malik Jaziri, uh, the first Arabic man to reach... The, to reach an ATP final since Eunice Elenawi. And he's he's brilliant to watch, Malik Jaziri, isn't he? He is he's a swashbuckler. Yeah. Well that's a good description. That that's a new category of player for me, a swashbuckler. Am I one of those or No, you're a Monica Nicolescu. We've been over this. All right. What are you? <laughs> Um, I think the most favourable comparison, um, which is one I'm taking, was a Kim Clijsters. Oh, yeah, baseline so basher, I, I, weren't I, you? I, I yeah. took and ran with. Yeah. Oh, by the yeah. way, remember when you were talking about Elise Mertens the other week? She's carried on her run. I think she she won Three the tournament. Three titles for the year. Three in a year? Three in a year, David, yeah. Blimey. She's she's for real, Elise Mertens. It is not... 
um, the most eye-catching tennis, is it? It's not. It does. It's not take your breath away tennis. But she's the real deal, um, and she's, she's she's got the mentality. There's so, I don't know. There's something about her. Really, something about her. She won in in Rabat last week, and not saying she's going to win the French Open, David. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that stranger things have happened. She keeps producing, doesn't she? And the other thing that I, that I notice here is as well as winning that title in Rabat, she's gone straight to Madrid and beaten Alison van Oetvank in straight sets. You know, I mean, there must have been 24 hours max between those two matches. I, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when Andy Murray won in Munich on a delayed final. They'd had a lot of rain in Munich uh, and he ended up beating Philip Kohlschreiber in the final in Munich on the Monday and then he was scheduled to play in Madrid, his his first match in Madrid on Tuesday, also drawn to face Philip Kohlschreiber in that <laughs> uh, in that first match and it was a match that uh, they had a lot of rain in Madrid and I know they have the roof but it ended up wreaking havoc generally with the scheduling and that match stepped onto court at 1am and they how, finished how old around is about 3.30 I mean, he, he, just lost in the final to Alexander Zverev I mean he seems to have been around forever this bloke I remember him beating Andy Roddick about it must be about 10 years ago at the Australian Open so he's, he's ageing better than Thomas Burdick then <laughs> Yeah, he is. I mean, he's he's got a lovely game as Cole Schreiber. I mean, I just I yeah. think if you were to just sort of watch a player for aesthetic purposes on a tennis court, in just the way he hits his strokes, I could just watch this guy all day. The sort of pictures that he paints, you know, when he's out there. It's the one-handed backhand, isn't it? Glorious. Just you love just... watching him. He is thirty-four years of age. He's he, he is going to a mere a yeah, mere thirty-four. Turns thirty-five in October. There we are. About to reach his prime. Yeah, well, he got to another final, lost to Zverev pretty handily. Actually, on the subject of Zverev, just to say, I mean, I know it's it's just another thing he's already done before, but I am impressed the way he just keeps pumping these results out. I mean, he has a disappointment now and again, but I think that's quite... For a top player to go to Munich which is not one of the biggest tournaments, and just go and win it, you know? And now he's got to come to, to Madrid, and then he's got to play Rome. I mean, it's it's pretty relentless, but he just keeps on doing this stuff. Yeah, he does, and, and actually, it is something he hasn't done before because he's never successfully defended a title. Oh, right. I think that's that's quite big. Um, yeah, although it's only an ATP 250, although, you know, he was in many ways expected to win it. I think, you know, playing at home uh, as a top five player for the first time and defending a title there for the first time, he's responded to, to the pressure really well of all of that. So actually, I think it is, you know, it's not a big as big a leap forward as winning in Rome last year or, or winning Montreal or or certain other things he's done but it is I, I think it is something it is something in his progression and it and it all counts and and uh, this is a big period for for Alex Verev because of course he's defending Rome but then he's defending nothing at the French Open I mean the French Open having lost first round last year and that was the first slam that he came into with all the big expectation. I think French Open this year is a big, big deal for Alex Verev. And he, therefore, the, these two Master Series lead-up events are, are equally big. Ooh. So how, how well do you think he's going to do? 
I think he. I think uh, at the at the Masters, I think he'll mm, at least semi final um, of of one or two of them. I th- I think Nadal's going to win them both, <laughs> so I don't think he's going to win either. Um, unless Nadal possibly withdraws from Rome, I don't know. I think uh, we discussed it. Was it last week or the week before? I think that's unlikely, personally, at this stage. But um, yeah, it's, it's, there's two separate conversations, aren't there? There's all of tennis without Nadal, um, and then there's the fact that it's all pretty inconsequential because Nadal's going to win everything. But it is all health permitting, <laughs> though, as well, isn't it? Because I mean, don't yeah. forget, two years ago, Nadal hurt his wrist, and you know, out of nowhere, and he was playing quite well that year. Very true. And anything can happen in tennis, David, and I know that better than anyone. Foregone, for that is a that is an uh, that is a, a an oblique foregone conclusion reference. God, You'll fi- notice five as much years as I'm ago, saying five years ago, she's still banging on about that. that. Uh, as much as I'm saying with certainty that Nadal's going to win everything, I am certainly not using the phrase foregone conclusion. No. Less 2013 it was 2013 Serena Williams and Sabina Lizicki <laughs> if anybody ago, wants to go I, back I've aged and just, really well since then yeah, just, like Thomas Burdick it's, it's all in the archive um, folks go and listen few other bits and bobs David uh, on a very positive note uh, Rob Fahey uh, why David why is Rob Fahey not more than an MBE doesn't it make a, a, a mockery of the honour system that that Andy Murray, not I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be a knight, but Andy Murray is a, a three-time Grand Slam champion, is a knight, and Rob Fahey, a 24-time uh, world champion at real tennis, is merely a mere MBE. 24 times. I think this very day is his 50th birthday um, and you talked about him with Simon Briggs a couple of weeks ago and he has now successfully defended uh, his real tennis world title against a 30 year old American opponent in the final um, and he's an absolute marvel yeah he's he's quite good isn't he <laughs> quite extraordinary can we start a campaign to, to make him a knight knighted for Rob yeah Wow, I can't believe it! What what a run! Yeah, I mean, as you say, he, he uh, Simon Briggs talks about him. He's he's white haired and and he's fifty years old now. And uh, and and yes, he beat Camden Riviere. What a wonderful name! Brilliant it, name! I in, can't believe that's a real name. A three day match, seven sets to five in real tennis. Um, so yeah, thank you to Tony Penny for uh, telling us all about it. He was there. Was he there? He was, yeah. He was actually there watching. Yeah, Tony one was there. The, he's he's a he's a hordes. member and uh, and he was there and he, he was into it. So yeah, we I forgot to mention what, it last David. week. We were supposed to do it a week ago, but anyway, we've done I, it. Now. Um, I um well I think it's more apt because I think today is his fiftieth birthday. Huh. We're, we're, no, we're that was last week. It was a week, it was was a week it? ago today, Catherine. I oh think. Yeah. nearly fifty fifty years and one week, that's yeah. what we're celebrating. So he's even um, older uh, and even better. I've, have you ever had a go at real tennis? Yes, once. Uh, me and John Inverdale, uh, another name dropped there, um, from uh, BBC Television during Queen's a few years back. Uh, we went out and did a little TV feature on it. I wasn't in it. I just set it up. And I went in there, though, picked up the racket, belted this ball, thinking it'd be like a tennis ball. Turned out it was like a rock. Yeah, bizarrely, my circumstances, the circumstances of my only attempt at real tennis are identical. It was also with John Inverdale at Queen's because... <laughs> He demands every year Same day, to do probably. some kind of, of real tennis feature. Was yeah. it? 
I don't know. Probably. <laughs> no, I don't think so. He do, he like he plays but a spot of real tennis. Yes, John Infidel, he does. So he? he tries to do a feature every year. Anyway, it is the most fantastically difficult thing I have ever attempted to do. That's yes. my assessment of real tennis. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm full of admiration for the lot of them. Uh, on a slightly less happy note, or certainly a, a, a but certainly a, a pertinent note. Um, it has been 25 years, David, since the the knife attack. On Monica Sellers, 25 years. I, and it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose that's the only story there is the extraordinary passing of time, that that is 25 years ago. I guess the the horror and the shock of it makes it feel more vivid in all of our minds. Because I don't know about you, and I was obviously a lot younger than you when it happened, but... That does not feel like 25 years ago. No, no. I mean, I remember the day it happened. I wasn't watching the match, but I remember the reports coming through. And I, it was definitely one of the most shocking things that I can remember in in sport and certainly in tennis, I think. Um, and, I mean, aside from the, the sheer horror of, of the actual events that that took place, what it led to, the fact that she, she didn't play the sport for a couple of years because of, of the effect it had on her, the trauma. And... When you now look back at it 25 years on and look at the, the sort of context of tennis and the time that has passed and where she might have been, we don't know for sure, in, in the all-time greats list, but she had got eight Grand Slam singles titles at the age of 19. And she was handily beating Steffi Graf most of the time that they played at that point. I mean, they had, we'll, we'll talk about 90s tennis in a minute generally, but she had one of the all-time great matches against uh, Graf in the 1992 French Open final. It was just an immense match, and, and Selesh won it. And she won the Australian Open against uh, Graf as well in, in the final. And it, just just an incredible player, just Chris Clary wrote an article the day she retired in 2008 about how she'd basically reinvented the, the sport with her two-handed play on both sides and, and the way she would cut the angles down and create new ones by just stepping in all the time and other players have copied her other players sound like her now the reason Maria Sharapova and Victoria Azarenka sound the way they do when they hit the ball is probably because of Monica Selesh and the numbers she could have put together she only won one more Grand Slam title after she came back Steffi Graf won 11 of hers after Monica Seles's stabbing so 11 of her 22 again who knows whether she she might have won another another 11 but I think it's unlikely because Seles would have won a lot of those and uh, and she was just an awesome force and uh, nice to see her now around the circuit from time to time I've seen her in Singapore and she seems you know she seems to be happy to be around the sport from time to time but uh, yeah it still does make you shudder thinking about it yeah, I wonder if she'd be a, a, a decent coach. She's never been mentioned in the in the coaching conversation, has she? No. But anyway, David Milos Raonic is uh, is progressing is pretty, pretty effectively against Nicholas Kicker. So your time for nineties uh, tennis is limited, but I give you the floor. I'm for ready. Some I'm ready. Well, I've already done one. So I've done the Selish Graffer final, which was a very um, kindly mentioned by David Blanchard. One of the best matches ever. He said. Uh, we've got a few others here. Uh, n- I'm going to get this name wrong. Nancy. Fat- 
Tastaphone from Toronto says Steffi Graf against the Sanchez Vicario in 1995 at Wimbledon included a 13 juice game. Kyan Truex mentions the Connors against Patrick McEnroe 1991 US Open match, which uh, is one of the matches that made me fall in love with tennis. Connor's just behaving abominably, uh, and, and I loved it. Uh, Adele Kay says, uh, Selesh against Capriati in the semi of the US Open in 1991. Two teenagers in a three-set classic. Anna Doble says... Uh, Boris Becker against Andre Doble. Agassi. Doble, is it? Anna Doble. Sorry, everybody. Uh, says Boris Becker so. in a, a comeback against uh, Andre Agassi uh, in the 1995 semifinals of Wimbledon. I remember that because Agassi was wearing what looked... You remember how British holidaymakers, when they sat on their deck chair in the 40s, used to sort of put like a handkerchief on their head to stop their, their heads burning? You seen those pictures? Yes. Yeah. Agassi had one of those on. So there we are. Uh, and uh, lots of people talking about when Agassi won Wimbledon in 92. And finally, Jose Ignacio Ayev from Florida says, Stefan Edberg against Ivan Lendl in the US Open semifinals in 1991. I remember this match like it was yesterday. Two behind-the-back shots in the space of three points, one from each player, and both hit a winning shot with the, the behind-the-back volleys. How about that? So you are. There's my uh, uh, 1990s uh, memories. I'm speechless, David, because I'm looking it up on YouTube. Yeah, and you were, what, four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why I gave the floor to you. Yes, excellent. Thank you for the floor. I enjoyed that. <laughs> David. David Law uh, loves the floor more than anything. Yes. Um, I think, David, uh, uh, that's probably it is there anything else you'd like the floor for no i think that'll do actually uh, just actually very finally i also just want to remember as well we were talking about munich uh, earlier and I, it just reminded me seeing the munich tournament mentioned i remember going there about oh 15 years ago something like that to visit the then tournament director a man called rudy berger who some of our listeners may remember as as just a great chair umpire from from the 80s and 90s he he was just somebody who commanded respect german umpire with a big brown beard and and he used to go head to head eyeball to eyeball with with the biggest names in the sport people like Andre Agassi and Boris Becker he stood up to them all and uh, he was just a brilliant umpire a lovely bloke and very sadly about 11 years ago when he was tournament director he he passed away he became ill and and, and died and and I just I, I haven't heard his name mentioned in such a long time and it just reminded me of him and uh, yeah I just wanted to to mention him and and maybe jog a few people's memories about what a great umpire he was. Very nicely said, David. Very, uh, very good use of the floor, um, and a very nice, uh, nice ending to this week's tennis podcast, David. We have been the tennis podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph and with Eurosport, with our three executive producers, Triple S, Melanie Bowes, and TennisBalls.com, and with Lamanga, who are still offering 10% discount to all tennis podcast listeners at Lamanga Club this year. That's off accommodation and tennis packages. Uh, just go to their website for more details, and the promotion code to enter for that discount is T podcast 18 david thank you i'll let you get back to the bank holiday sunshine i am going to transfer myself from the car park to a windowless room so it's not all glamour in broadcasting but you know it is still fun and uh, we'll see you next week
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.